Welcome to the Roll Bama Roll Podcast. I'm Wesley Gullett. As always, I'll be joined by Brad Canning. Our guest this week is an Alabama beat writer for The Athletic. You can catch him on Jocks 94.5 in Birmingham. Weekdays from 10 to 2 as part of the show Three Man Front. He's Aaron Settles. Aaron, thanks for being back with us, man. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I was reading our pal Mark Burnett's story on Bleacher Report about Quinnen Williams. In pro football focus, Quinnen is grading out as the best defensive lineman in college football. For perspective, Quinnen's grading out higher at his position than Tua is at quarterback, which is kind of mind-blowing. They posted a mock draft Thursday morning that has him going fifth overall to the Browns. With that said, is Quinnen Williams maybe the most overlooked or unrecognized superstar in the Saban era? Or or has Alabama just kind of reached a point where a top-ten draft pick can blend in? It's a great question. You know, I, I talked, in fact, I got a story coming out next week on Quinnen just about his on, on how well he's played, and I, I talked to a few scouts who tell me he's the best defensive tackle in the country. I mean, Ed Oliver gets all the love, but Quentin Williams has been remarkable this year. You know, another player that turned out to be better than we thought that never really got his due at Alabama was Quentin Dial. You know, he was much better than when he got to the pros, and I remember him being during his time at Alabama. And, you know, I, I think with Quentin, a, a lot of that's just due to the fact that this is really his first year as a full-time starter. And came into the season, and everyone was raving about Raekwon Davis and, and how he was poised to have a huge junior season. And, and quietly, Quentin Williams just went about his business. You look at him, and you're not overly impressed. He didn't look like the biggest guy, didn't look like the strongest guy. But, man, he puts everything together. He's quick. He's got great hands. Um, and he just destroys the inside of an offensive line with his quickness and he's got very violent hands and he's very smart with how he uses them so he puts all that together and he's really become I don't know if there was a Heisman trophy for defensive players he might be leading that as well hey Aaron Brad Canning thanks for coming back on buddy uh haven't had a chance to congratulate on the Owen job and even getting married so it's been a great year for you um so look I wanted to ask you with uh With, you know, the whole shit show that's been going on up in Maryland the last few months, they finally made the right move after the fact of getting rid of Durkin. Is there anything that we could look down the road and see with a connection of maybe, you know, Butch Jones being labeled as a prospect for that job? Or how about Coach Loxley with the connection he has working there before? No, I absolutely think Coach Loxley is in the running for that job. I think they're the, the powers that be, and when I say power, that, that be. I don't know how much how temporary that power is going to be because I think the leadership structure is going to change completely at Maryland. But I, the current powers that be really like Mike Loxley. It makes a lot of sense. He's been an offensive coordinator there. He's lived there. And, and more than that, when you're at a program like Maryland, you're going to have to recruit. And that DMV area of Washington, D.C. And, and Baltimore and Maryland and Virginia, um, Alabama's made a living up there. You Think Cyrus Jones, the Quanjos, Jonathan Allen, Ayabi Anoma, well, the list is uh, Trayvon Diggs. The list goes on and on with players they've gotten out of that area. Some of that's due to, to recent years with with Mike Loxley, but Alabama was, was established there long before he got to Alabama. So, but but he knows those relationships. He knows the high school coaches there. He knows that environment. I think he's got a real shot at getting that job. If uh, depending on how that whole thing shakes out, like I said, that entire leadership structure from the border regions on down may be gone by the end of the season. Aaron, I felt when LSU hired Ed Orgeron, they kind of did the rest of college football a favor. And even with the season they're having, I still feel that way. So is LSU having like 10 win or so seasons actually a positive for Alabama and the rest of the West? And I mean that in the sense that we could see a scenario where LSU keeps Coach O long-term and maybe never really reaches the full potential that program has. Or am I underestimating what he can do there? He surprised me. Uh, you know, last year when he 
fired Matt Canada, and they had that whole ordeal. I kept thinking to myself, well, he told us this time around he wasn't going to meddle, and here is he, here he is meddling again. You know, the model that LSU went with and what he sold them on was we're going to go get a really good defensive coordinator, and they, they got a great one in Dave Aranda, and they were really, 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 really close to getting Lane Kiffin, that we're going to pay our coordinators, and I'm, and I'm going to be the coach, so you can save salary on me, and let's put that money toward our coordinators. I'm curious how long they can hold on to Dave Aranda because the, the more success he has each and every year, he's going to be uh, a name people want to interview. The problem is he's making $2.5 million, and he's got essentially none of the stress. I mean, there is stress, but you're going to get athletes at LSU. And so as long as your defense keeps performing well, there's no stress on you. So, you know, he's making a lot more than some schools pay their head coach. So that'll be the problem. But if that time ever comes when he loses that defensive coordinator, can they sustain that model? Can he keep going and hiring the best defensive coordinator that's out there to supplement what he is? You know, they're not dynamic offensively. And I've looked at them, and they, they're really good for what they do. They run the football more than anyone else in the Southeastern Conference. They're not super efficient. They're next to last in yards per carry, but they know who they are, and they stick with it because they run it a lot. I give him credit for knowing who he is and knowing what his personnel is this year. That's all a head coach can do, and it looks like he's recruiting fairly well. But will they reach their potential? It's a good question. Probably not. I, I don't see it happening. It's amazing when we first had you on this time last year, we sat here laughing about the buyout he got away with and the job he's done since has actually been incredible. But I wanted to ask you in regards to Alabama's offense, uh, how efficient it's been this year and, and just in, insane. It's it's actually set the tone for the country to follow, it seems like. But are we going to see over the rest of this season, especially as it comes to those big time games looking ahead, which Saban may stab me for doing, but um. Are we going to see more of Tua to Jalen or even Jalen to Tua be, you know, put in as a wrinkle more in bigger games? You know, I, I don't see it. I think it was fun for, for the fans against Missouri to, to look at and, you know, to celebrate Jalen. But I, I don't, especially now with his ankle, I don't see it more going forward. If it is, it's not going to be a major part of the offense. We'll see what we've seen one or two plays but even that I suspect was put on film just to make the opposition spend some of their limited hours they have each week preparing for it so I don't I'd be shocked if we saw it this week I'll say that if Tua has his normal Tua game and Alabama leads Baton Rouge with the win does he have the Hosman wrapped up nine games into the season I really think so. If he, if he shreds this LSU defense with how vaunted their secondary is, yeah, I, I don't really think it matters what he does the last three games. Unless he just you know goes on a tear where he's throwing four and five interceptions a game. Short of that, I, I think it would be over with. Just because this is the best defense, at least secondary-wise, they're going to face. Now, Mississippi State can get after him and put some pressure on him. But in terms of a game where he can have a really bad stat line, I think this is the biggest trap left out there. And if he passes this one and he shreds that defense, it's over. It might be the most uh, runaway Heisman we've seen since Cam Newton. So what in your estimation is uh, the development of this team internally so far? Because the defense kind of, I think, has come a long way since week one. But at the same time, I think the running backs may have taken a second seat, uh, back seat to compare to the expectations. And that's mainly just because of success of Tua. So has there been any type of confliction within the program at all? Or, you know, is everyone on board and, and just continuing to move forward within the process? Yeah, I think it's been about as smooth. I mean, you know, there's some bumps in the road defensively. And you've seen it. Just go look at the the rushing totals 
this year. You know, some some of the rushing totals his defense has given up. And I thought a key turning point for them defensively was after that Arkansas game. I think they allowed 178 yards rushing. Um, Nick Saban publicly kind of challenged that defense. You saw Mac Wilson go out on Twitter and say, this is my responsibility. I will get this fixed. And since that time, now they've only played since then, I believe it's Missouri and, and Tennessee. So, so take this with a grain of salt. But since that time, their yards per play allowed has is, is been pretty good, a top five in the country. So they, they seem to have gotten some things corrected, and you got to look at the strength of the opposition and try to give that context and, fact, context and factor that in. But they seem to have gotten some things going the right way. They've been really ball-hawking defense all year. They're top five in interceptions. They're getting after the quarterback. They're sacking the quarterback. So defensively, I think that's where the growth that we've seen the most of. And then the other thing I would say is look how many guys that have come kind of not – Alabama fans would know them, but how many guys from an NFL perspective have jumped onto the scene? Irv Smith Jr. could probably be a draft pick if he chooses to go out. We've talked about Quinn and Williams. Deontay Thompson is a first-round NFL safety now. So just guys that, uh, that maybe weren't household names before the season that are now projected toward the top of their in, uh, respective positions. Well, finally, Aaron, I want to ask you about the line. Um, it's looking like there may be a little bit of a movement within the uh, the first string lineup. So I uh, kind of want to get your take on that and uh, what we can expect this weekend in Baton Rouge, you know, with the personnel out on the field and how they're going to perform against LSU. On the offensive line? Yes, sir. Yeah. I, count me in as a guy that – give me more cornbread. I want more <laughs> cornbread. Give me more of Deontay Brown. Uh, that's his nickname. It might be the best nickname in college football right now, Cornbread. But I thought he had a really good game at Tennessee. And to make your first career start on the road, I know it was Tennessee, and I know they're not very big, not very good. But that was still a, a stadium that holds 100,000. It's your first career start, and it's on the road. I thought he played really well. And the thing with that's been so disappointing, I guess, about about Lester Cotton is the fact that he's a veteran offensive lineman, and he's having far too many mental mistakes too many busted assignments, and you just can't have that. And so I thought it was a good opportunity to get Deontay Brown some work and see if he can do it because he can, he can move people. That's the one thing that's been missing in this Alabama offense is, you know, they're still rushing for a good total, but they don't, they don't just take the will out of the opposition. I think if they get Deontay Brown in there with how strong he is and how good Jonah Williams is right beside him, I think you've got the, the start of you, you can take the will out of people. You run between behind those two big guys and you start moving people out of the way. And I think he's good enough in pass protection. Uh, I think he's got really long arms. Everybody sees his size at 344, but he's got really long arms. And so I, I think he did a fairly good job pass protecting too. I think he could be the missing element of this offense if there is one, just because of what he can bring to the run game. All right, last one. We'll let you go, and I want to I want to switch gears. This weekend looks like the SEC championship game semifinals with Alabama at LSU and Georgia at Kentucky. I am not buying Kentucky as a threat for the playoffs. I'm not buying them as a top ten team. I think they come back down to earth this weekend. Georgia beats them without the game even in question in the fourth quarter. Am I wrong about the Cats? You're probably wrong about your overall impression of them. They're a good football team. They're really good defensively. I mean, they're really good defensively. Josh Allen might be the SEC Defensive Player of the Year. And Benny Snell is really good. The problem is they don't have any balance on offense. And they don't have any semblance of balance on offense uh, at quarterback. So if you're telling me that a one-dimensional offense is going to beat Georgia, then there's going to have to be something more to it. There's going to have to be turnovers. Defense is going to have to add a touchdown or something because as good as Benny Snell is, any team that's one-dimensional, pretty easy to take them out of the game. I mean, Kentucky has a good offensive line, but they don't have a great offensive line. 
that, that's the problem with Kentucky is they if, they if they could force defenses to have to respect the pass, they might have a chance in this game because this is going to be the biggest the biggest football game that stadium's ever seen on that campus. So it's, I expect a rowdy environment. The problem is, again, they just don't, there's no threat to throw the football, and that really uh, limits their chances to win this. All right, he's Aaron Suttle. Sign up at The Athletic. Read his articles. Aaron, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks, buddy. All right, guys. Take care. All right, major thank you to Aaron Suttles for coming on again, friend of the show. Brad, there was something significant that happened for Alabama's program last week, and I have seen nobody mention it. Like, maybe in the depths of internet message boards somewhere, I'm sure someone has brought this up. And on the surface, this seems really simple. Four-star defensive lineman Braylon Ingram committed to Alabama last Tuesday, which I'm I'm sure you saw. Mm -hmm. Uh, That seems like a normal commitment. He's ranked in the top 250. Alabama's liked him for a couple of years. He was in injured uh, his junior season so the staff wanted to see how he played this year he's had a huge year from what we've heard he was the top defensive player on Miami's board which is the local school for him Uh, he got the green light from Saban committed from all accounts he's going to move up in the rankings so a pretty run-of-the-mill Nick Saban commitment right yeah and I feel like there's more to the story though (laughs) yeah Ingram goes to school at St. Thomas Aquinas High School in Fort Lauderdale. If you'll remember back when Alabama fired Mike Shula and hired Nick Saban, Alabama got a lot of backlash from St. Thomas Aquinas. Their athletic director, George Smith, who is still their athletic director today, is really close with the Shulas. St. Thomas Aquinas is where the Shulas still send their kids. Most importantly, and you'll know this if you're a recruiting guy listening, St. Thomas Aquinas is probably the top talent producer for high school football prospects in the country, maybe outside of IMG Academy now. There's always several high-level Power 5 prospects on the roster every cycle. To put St. Thomas in perspective, Ross Dellinger, Sports Illustrated, tweeted out nationwide recruiting data for 10 cycles, the 2008 to 2017 cycles. Every state's listed, and the top high school in each state is listed. St. Thomas Aquinas is number one in the country with 71 Power 5 signees during those 10 cycles. (laughs) 71. I mean, you, you can do the math on that. The, mm-hmm. the second closest high school is DeMatha Catholic in Maryland, who Mike Loxley's had a lot of uh, success with. Mm-hmm. How many Power 5 signees do you think they had in the past 10 cycles? Uh, somewhere close to 40? Yeah, 40. 40 exactly. Oh, okay. So to play that lot of. <laughs> so... St. Thomas Aquinas has produced 31 more Power 5 recruits than any other school in the nation. That's how far ahead they are from the rest of the country. Like I said, IMG Academy, I think now you can probably say is neck and neck with them. So some of you may remember this story, but George Smith, again, their athletic director, sent a letter to Mal Moore and and Robert Witt saying Alabama was no longer welcome on campus there. Uh, Yeah, he was bitter not only for the Shulas, but also with Nick Saban leaving the Dolphins. Uh, and, and not that this has really hurt Nick Saban on the recruiting trail that much, but still, it cut him out of the top talent-producing program in the nation and in South Florida, which we all know is arguably the biggest recruiting hotbed in the nation. So I posed the question the other day, Brad. You, you, I, you may have seen me ask this. Mm-hmm. Who was the last player Alabama signed from St. Thomas Aquinas? Uh, yeah, when I when I did see that on Twitter, I, I... – I tried to rack my head, and I'm like, I got CRS, so I can't remember anything. But still, I, I could not think of it. I'll tell you right now, I still don't have an answer. Deron, Car- Deron Carter played there, but he signed. I mean, we, yeah, 
He signed with Ohio State out of high school, which we all know, and then and transferred. Bobby Williams' son, Nick, played there, but he was a preferred walk-on at Alabama. I don't know that that necessarily counts. He was Bobby Williams' son. His dad was on the coaching staff. Alabama has signed exactly zero players from that high school since Saban arrived, which is crazy considering how well the, Alabama – Yeah, how well <laughs> Alabama's not only done in South Florida, but also you add in the amount of top guys that have come out of that school. I'm kind of paraphrasing here. So you fast forward after or after Nick Saban was hired, but George Smith claimed that the Alabama ban was over when Saban hired Bobby Williams in 08. Bobby Williams coached at St. Thomas Aquinas. Like we said, his son played there, uh, and he has, he was family friends with the Smiths. But it's still taken over a decade to get a single commitment from that school. And keep in mind, George Smith's, like we said, is still the athletic director there. So if by some chance Nick Saban has broken through that wall and can start maybe a small pipeline there, it could be huge. Ingram's teammate, Jordan Battle, who's a top 100 four-star safety, he's currently committed to Ohio State. He's now set up an official visit to Alabama and seems to be open to the idea of potentially flipping from Ohio State. So this is the first time during Saban's entire tenure that I can remember even one single kid from that school having genuine interest in Alabama, much less committing, and now they have two all of a sudden. I mean, that's just insane. (laughs) We're talking the number one talent producing high school by a wide margin, almost double, and Saban's just now possibly about to pick from that crop. And I would have never believed it not knowing this. Uh, You know, small high school somewhere in the Midwest, yes, but the number one producing high school in in the country and one of the most recognizable names for high school talent. Yeah. I would have never thought that. And I just can't believe George, you know, got his heart broke so much and <laughs> had his ass chapped so bad that that happened. But um, I mean, he did great, I guess. He, he built one hell of a wall around St. Thomas. So that uh, props to him. But uh, it, it's Saban's the Mongolians and he's coming in now. But no, that's that's wild, man. If now he's about to cash in in the number one talent producing high school on top of everything else he gets. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that number six anomaly class this year is going to really look like a fluke. Yeah, and when I said that they have 71 players, those are 71 high Power 5 prospects. Those are Alabama types. Those are Florida State and Clemson and Miami. Those are, those are not kids that are going to Purdue. You know, those yeah. are not kids that are going to Syracuse or wherever. Like, that school produces high-level talent. And like you said, with a recognizable name, every single year when ESPN does their high school games, St. Thomas Aquinas is on there what seems like every week playing a school from Texas or California or another major school in South Florida. I just feel like George, <laughs> 10 years ago, got into these kindergarten and first-grade classes and started putting up pictures of Saban as the devil trying to brainwash them not to ever play for him. Like, I just have that image in my head. He was that butthurt over it. But, um, you know, good for Saban. I mean, good for us, too. But that is just – that's one hell of a story and a stat that I don't think anyone's caught. Yeah, I've seen it mentioned nowhere. And I thought that that was, would maybe be – and, you know, the Braylon Ingram commitment kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, we knew that Alabama was interested in him. We knew that, that they liked him for a couple of years. But I don't think a lot of people really expected him to commit to Alabama until maybe a few weeks ago. On top of that, it's, it's not, it wasn't really an expected thing until very, very recently. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for a guy in a position of power like George Smith to be an athletic director at such a such a massive school like that, it's really weird to me that he can't separate his personal feelings. And like I said, this has been a long time ago, and he hasn't really commented on it in years. 
the last thing that I could find as far as any comment from George Smith on Alabama was 2009. So this is not something that he's staying in the media with, but still for it to have taken this long for Alabama to, to build any kind of inroads with anybody at that school, I think says something, but it, it's just weird to me that he can't separate his personal feelings, yeah. you know, for may, maybe potentially what's best for a certain kid and how that kid may fit into Alabama's football program. Yeah, I just feel like any time an assistant coach for Alabama came on campus, oh, hey, George, how you doing? I'm fine. Give him the woman <laughs> treatment because he definitely isn't over it. But, uh, no, I think we're going to have to reach out to George, man. It sounds like you're the one putting this story together. So we're going to have to just check on George, make sure uh, he's doing all right, and uh, Saban can actually get past the, uh, the wall that he built. So Should we, uh, contact, that's incredible. Should we contact St. Thomas Aquinas? I, dude, I think we, we got to, man. You, like, think we can get George, I, you think we can get George on the pod? Uh, I, I I think there's a chance, um, but what I want to do here real quick is I want to I want to put out a, a trivia thing for the fans that listen to us. Um, I, I will I, I don't know what it will be. I, Wes and I can talk about it, but we'll gladly care package a gift to somebody that can tell us who the last player signed with Alabama from St. Thomas Aquinas because Wes and I talked. He spent hours researching this. He couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. But I procrastinated, didn't search much. But if you can find it and back it up. We'll send you a care package of some apparel because that's incredible, man. Uh, great job on finding that. But, yeah, we're going to have to reach out to St. Thomas Aquinas and uh, hit up old George, see, uh, see what he's talking about these days. Yeah, we will. If you can answer that question, we will be glad to send you the Roll Bama Roll care package. <laughs> um, because I, I literally I don't know that there is one. You cannot say Deron Carter. You cannot say Nick Williams. Those, yeah, those are the only two Deron stipulations. Carter, even if it was Deron Carter, I want a damn picture of him in uniform because, I mean, it just doesn't <laughs> exist. So, But anyways, no, Deron doesn't count. All right, moving on to this weekend, and we won't spend too much time on this with LSU, but Brad, I- I'm very calm going into this game. <laughs> I'm telling you, I-, I am so ready for this game to be over. Even as of tonight, Thursday night, watching my Twitter feed of some of you who even listen, just trying to convince yourself you should be scared and worried of Bama losing this weekend. It's like, I just want the game over so you guys will go back to normal because it's just it- I'm getting a crack out of it. I'm not worried about LSU, and and I think that's the first time in many years that I've said that. Yeah, I'm really not, and maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but I I said this a couple weeks ago. Joe Joe Burrow does not strike fear into me. That is not the type of guy that Alabama loses to, and he's getting a lot of love from the LSU base right now. And here's look, I looked up Joe Burrow's stats through eight games. Oh god, six six (laughs) six touchdowns, three interceptions, slightly over 1,500 yards passing, a 53.8 completion percentage. If you look up Danny Etling's stats from last year, they're better. That's not an exaggeration. They are better. Danny Etling threw 16 touchdowns through the year, whereas Joe Burrow has six right now. We're about to enter game nine. And Danny Etling only threw two picks last season, whereas Joe Burrow already has three. And, I mean, the whole thing is always, oh, you know, LSU gets up for this game more than any other game. Okay, that's fine. I get that. Coach O coaches only just to beat Alabama. Okay, that's fine. I get that. Oh, it's that night in Tiger Stadium. It's always tough. Okay, for the most part, you've been right, you know, every other year of the last decade. However, Alabama has more wins in the last 25 years in Tiger Stadium than LSU does at home against Alabama ever, first off. <laughs> what a um, Yeah. So when's the last time LSU beat Alabama in Tiger Stadium at night? Oh. That answer I don't have, but I do know they beat us in, what, 2010 uh, that, in yeah, Tiger Stadium. That was a 2.30 CBS game, though. 2010, yeah. yeah. So, so we got to go back probably to pre-Saban for no, that for answer. For sure, 100%, yeah. 
because they they won the 07 game, which is obviously in Tuscaloosa. That was the last time I can remember. Well, no, they won the 2011 game at night. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Look, I do think – I'm not going to call that a narrative because I do think that Tiger Stadium, drunk as hell, at night is the best college football environment in college football outside of maybe the big house – uh, or you know Clemson or Notre Dame, but so what is the number that LSU has to hold Alabama to? Because look, Alabama's scoring 54 points a game. They're leading the country. You got the lowest production of offense this year, or scoring period this year was against Missouri at 39 points. You know LSU's got the best defense that Alabama's going to play this year until possibly Georgia. But what is their goal? I mean, because realistically, I don't think that you can say 2017 because that's not going to happen. Uh, Alabama can luck around and score 21 in this game, I think. I think if you're LSU, you want to try to keep them in that 24 to 27-point range. But then again, how is LSU, with Joe Burrow, going to be able to score 27 or more points against Alabama, too? I just don't see how this happens. And I know they're going to go after Tua's knee. That's just a given. I don't want to accuse them ahead of time of doing that, but we all know it's just football. Uh, I don't see a realm, and I've said this before two weeks ago on the podcast, I think this game is just like A&M. I think it's physical in the first half. It's kind of close. But in that third quarter, late going into the fourth quarter, early fourth quarter, I think Alabama starts to pull away. And honestly, I don't see this game closer than three scores. Not three touchdowns, which it may be, but three scores, 17 or more points. I just don't see it. Yeah, they've also kind of convinced themselves. I've been reading the message boards and just reading uh, LSU fan opinions about the game and about Joe Burrow. They have convinced themselves that Joe Burrow is athletic. When I was telling you, like, hey, this is not the type of quarterback that strikes fear into me, that he's not really a threat to run that much, he's not that great of a passer, he's just like an okay guy. He's like John Parker Wilson. Is that like a – is that <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm not like dogging John Parker Wilson. That's kind of what I'm saying. He's just that kind of guy. He's he's pretty good. He's okay. But he's just not the kind of quarterback that beats Alabama. I've yeah. seen fans go, we typically turn pedestrian-type quarterbacks into Heisman candidates against us in games like this. Yeah. Well, no. When's the last time that happened? Because normally the last losses we've had have been against already perceived great quarterbacks in college football. And Joe Burrow, with his failing passing percentage, is not that. Yeah, he has four rushing touchdowns, uh, which is decent. You know, not taking anything away from him. 67 attempts for 250 yards. So he's averaging 3.7 yards a carry. I don't think this guy's Deshaun Watson. <laughs> yeah, like I don't, I don't think he's Vince Young taking off with his legs. Maybe he can kind of bust one if things break down or he can keep a play alive for a minute. I don't know. Where does LSU have an advantage? Scratch, scratch special teams, please. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, that's tough. That really is. I think they have the advantage because they're going to run the ball more. That's really about it. Yeah, but do they, um, do they actually have an advantage running the ball as far as how their offensive line stacks up with Alabama's defensive line and maybe linebackers to running back? Like, mm-hmm. is, there, is there an actual advantage there mm-hmm. for them? No. No. No, so, there's not. I think the hype and the and the emotions and stuff that only lasts for so many minutes and in, into the start of a football game, and once all of that kind of settles down, what are they going to be able to do? I, I don't. I'm, that's what I'm saying. I want somebody smarter than us that knows that at a college level knows football. Tell me where their points are coming from because Tua doesn't turn the ball over. Knock on wood. Yeah, uh, I should edit Alabama's, that out. Yeah. <laughs> 
So where are their points going to come from? Alabama's not going to, you know, try with one second left to kick a 57-yard field goal. Um, special I teams. I should edit maybe... that out too, Brad. Damn. Okay. Well, <laughs> let me just start. A... No, All right. So, so where are their points coming from? <laughs> I mean, that's all I got. Okay, no, but seriously, we'll still do this. Um, so where are their points going to come from, though? Because, look, Alabama's run defense this year compared to years past. There's the problem with Alabama. you got to compare it to teams of years past. But we can say it's it's growing pains right now. And LSU, historically, is going to try to run the ball against Alabama. But they're also going to try to break out more of this deke and dunk against Alabama, too, which – I will say intermediate passes across the middle under Nick Saban have always been cleared for takeoff, and that will you know, still happen this week. But I also think the linebackers, especially Dylan Moses, are going to play with more of a chip on their edge too. Deep threat, I'll give LSU one or two good shots because it's just going to happen in a game like this. Yeah. But tell me where, in a, in, in a realistic realm, 27 or more points is going to come from because I think that's the goal for LSU if they want to win this game is they're going to have to score at least 27 or more points. Yeah, it's going to be hard for them to consistently move the ball to me. I mean, I think the uh, situation where I can see them keeping the game close is clearly, I mean, obviously they, they get some turnovers on defense or maybe some trick plays here and there. But as far as like sustained offense and them being able to run the ball all four quarters and being able to consistently pass the ball through the entire game, I just don't see it. Well, I just don't see how Devin White is such a huge loss for them winning this game too because if he scores that many points, why hasn't he been doing that in these games before? So that's my big there. But, okay, so here's the million-dollar question. Mm-hmm. Does Tua throw a fourth-quarter pass? Uh, I want to say no so badly. Um, I, I'm so t- I'm more torn about that than I am of Alabama winning this game. Uh, I hope not because, like I told you uh, earlier in the season, I would love to see Tua win the Heisman without ever playing in the fourth quarter. Like I hope he doesn't even play in the fourth quarter in the national championship game. Like <laughs> I just hope they beat everybody so terribly bad that this guy doesn't even remember what the fourth quarter feels like anymore. No, and there's only going to be one game left after this if he doesn't, uh, and that'll be the week before the Heisman in Atlanta, assumedly that Alabama makes it, of course. But uh, I I think there's more of a chance he does than not, but I'll say that's more like 55-45, if anything, percent-wise. But I just honestly, man, I'm telling you uh, from a realistic stance, and I know some of y'all may just blatantly disagree with me, I just – I cannot – fathom the perception of why this game is going to be so close in the fourth quarter without looking at historical stuff. Well, this offense is historical for what it's doing for Alabama that it's never had. So you got to throw out the past versus this year's team. And I just, honestly, I don't see it unless Tua or Jalen or Mack or whoever just starts throwing the ball to the LSU guys, uh, you know, purposefully. I don't know how they're going to score more points than Alabama. And from what I've heard in the past, you play to win the game by scoring more points than the opposition. But I don't see LSU doing that. Yeah, and maybe there's a situation where, like, the younger guys just fold in that environment or something. But, look, we have a, a, a long track record to tell us that that doesn't happen with the Nick Saban coach team. So I don't know. Um, I wanted to get your opinion real quick. I know I asked Aaron about it, the Kentucky and Georgia game, because, like I said, this this feels like a semifinal this weekend. So uh, assuming or hoping that Alabama goes to Baton Rouge and takes care of business, they will probably be playing the winner of the Kentucky and Georgia games. So we can make this kind of quick, Kentucky or Georgia? <laughs> Georgia by a mile. Okay. Um, the reason why I say that, 
uh, A&M game three weeks ago. Kentucky didn't even move the ball into A&M's territory in the second half uh, against Vanderbilt. They only had 18 passing yards. Last week against Missouri, they had zero first downs in the second half. Their defense is great, absolutely great. But their offense is a cluster right now. And I think that they can, the defense and Josh Allen, they can keep themselves in this game in the first half. But they got to score points. And Georgia, I think they hit their stride last week in the second half against Florida, and they're going to build off of that. I don't think it's close at the end of the game. Yeah, and we've talked about how much stock that I put into rosters. And maybe sometimes I put too much stock into rosters and the talent that's there or the, or the recognizable names that are on those rosters. If you compare these two rosters, they are oh. absolutely nothing alike. Georgia no. has one of the top three most talented rosters in the country. And I, simply, I think they can just out-talent Kentucky. No, oh, and that's what's going to happen. I mean, it's just it's not going to be fair compared to what it's going to be hyped at. But I am happy it is a 6-9 matchup. That's very nice. Um, <laughs> All right. And on that note, we're going to hang it up. This has been the Roll Bama Roll podcast. Roll Todd.